And we're back for another edition of Official Word Sports Podcast. And oh, what a snoozer. Oh, what a snoozer that was for Super Bowl Sunday. Oh, my goodness. I'll tell you one thing. I got a good power nap out of that Super Bowl. Oh, CBD. I'm sitting there looking at it in what? Zero, 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 three, zero. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my goodness. This can't get any worse. I, you know, for two of the most prolific offensive teams we had this year, <laughs> they say good defense wins championships, but that wasn't good defense. That was just poor offense. Uh, the quarterback a little, a little scared to me. Um, if you watched in the pregame, hand shaking, it looked like the moment was getting a little bit big for him before that game started. Uh, there's no doubt about it. And, and he, yes, he had a good year, but, you know, sometimes, you know, the true colors show on the biggest stage. Oh, my goodness. I mean, we, we got a lot of things to go over, but all the hype, all the buildup. And we talk about this from day one, season one, right? How good the Patriots offense is, how good the Rams offense. And, you know, you throw in some of the other teams. So, yes, it came down to the final game the championship game with the two prolific offenses in 2018-19, right? These two teams are on the stage. And what do you get? Nine punts in one half? (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, I I actually feel bad for Jim Nance and Tony Romo. I do. But Romo started going over the drive chart summary. And it was three and out, three and out, three and out, three and out, five and out, three and out, three and out, three and out, five and out. Oh my goodness, Stevie D. Yeah, it, it was uh, it was atrocious. Um, it, it was just a really horrible football game to watch. When we talk about what the NFL is trying to do and get more more offense, it was the anti-offense game, right? They couldn't get anything right offensively. Uh, it was it was just boring. It was boring. Very disappointed. I got to be honest with you. I, I was, you know, we we predicted high scoring game, uh, and we got the exact opposite. Although we 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 knew who was going to win the game, uh, it was just uh, it was so boring. I, I I'm just so disappointed. I don't know what else to say other than I'm extremely disappointed for two outcomes. It was it was boring, and the Patriots won. Yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely. So CVD, let's jump into it. Yep. <laughs> Let's jump into it. So the Patriots get their six. Yeah. It's a it's a big time run that they that they've had over the last 20 years. And, and to put it in those terms, 20 years, it, it, it's been one hell of a ride for them. Well, when you think about it, it's actually less than 20. Right. You're, we're talking about 18 years. Nine Super Bowls in 18 years. I mean, you're talking about averaging. I mean, I'm, I'm yes, I'm like critiquing you over two years because it just sounds better. 18 years and <laughs> nine Super Bowls, right? I mean, it, it's every other year they average being in the Super Bowl. It's truly, truly the greatest run. I would say in the Super Bowl era, I don't know about the Packers era right before um, the Super Bowl kind of came into play. Uh, when it was just the NFL championship and, and what right. their run was like. But in, in that, especially in a free agency market where you have salary caps and people changing teams and kids getting cut and the injuries 
being as high as they are around the uh, National Football League, to have this kind of run um, is, is tremendous. And they'll say, well, they play in the AFC East where they're the only team that matters because the other three teams can't get out of their own way. That may be very true. And they, they may go an average of four and two, five and one in every year in that division. But they still got to win six plus more games and still win at least two games to get to a Super Bowl. And now they've won it six times. So they've actually won three playoff games. Um, you can take the ease out of the AFC East out of the picture. I mean, they are legit, right? And it starts with their head coach. Well, it starts and ends with the head coach, as far as I'm concerned. I, I actually saw somebody that said, when are we finally going to call Belichick the GOAT? Um, yes, I, I have been saying that for the longest time. And, and this isn't to hate on Brady. Well, it is, but this isn't to hate on Brady. But this is really to give the just due to the person that really deserves it. Um just to, you know, and look at his career. Look look what he did when he was the assistant, the defensive coordinator under Parcells. And, and he he was the mastermind. He he was the one. And then what he's the run that he's gone on at, at New England over that course of time. And yeah, they, you know, there's some years where, you know, they didn't win or where he wasn't, you know, prolific. Well, yeah, they didn't have all the pieces around him, but certainly and especially you look at – you give him two weeks. I mean, he, he's a wizard. Yeah. Now, and you're not even giving him credit for Cleveland, right? He got hosed in Cleveland. He did. Because of the whole relocation to Baltimore. He did. I mean, that team was headed in the right direction on the Belichick. And then they announced, oh, by the way, we're moving to Baltimore. And, and the wheels just fell off. Um, can you imagine what he may have been able to do with Ozzy Newsom possibly as their GM in Baltimore? Absolutely. Uh, it's incredible what it could have been. And Baltimore's got to be saying, oh, my God, this could have been us. <laughs> right. And so he is a mastermind. Um, and as, as much as I hate him, because I, I just hate the way it ended with the Jets and, and what happened and <laughs> kind of what Parcells did there um, and and such. Um uh, obviously, it has a little bit of a different meaning for, for New York Jet fans. But um, when you take all that hate, and I always joke around with the people from the Boston market of, you know, you guys are cheaters, this and that. Uh, you know, it's part of, probably part of the jealousy part because your, your team can't get out of its own way. Um, but he truly is a wizard. And I wouldn't be surprised. I know it would never happen, but do you, you ever see that trophy being renamed? It's going to be called the Belichick Trophy. Well, and let's face it, they're not done yet. They are not done yet. The, now that's a, I was thinking the same thing as they name it the Lombardi. Something's going to be renamed to Belichick. Something. And whether or not, you know, at some point they name it both the Vince Lombardi, Bill Belichick, or something. He, he's going to have, besides Coach of the Year, he's going to have an award named after him. He's going to have something named after him. And he deserves it. He, he really does. So everybody's pregame MVP, he didn't play like MVP even though they won. You know, early on, early on I was excited because just what we were talking about, they were pushing the pocket. Speaking of the Rams, they were pushing the pocket. You had Brady on that interception, which was a horrible interception. Right, and he realized it, and that's why the ball came out soft. 
and it was an easy pick. But he he just was off, right? He he was throwing the ball. He was late on his reads, throwing the ball in the ground, throwing it at the back, throwing it out of bounds. He was off. Yeah, but think about it, though, right? What did we talk about last week? That front four has got to push the pocket, and they were doing it. Mm-hmm. Think about how many run plays they got in there. They just, it's like they over, over pursued there for, because they pushed the line back so far that they actually ran past the running back because they got so far back in, in the, in the backfield. I mean, that front four really was giving some pressure there, especially Aaron Donald uh, up the middle and making Brady feel a little uncomfortable. Absolutely. So I, I just want to give their deal, their due there on, on their, on their front four. You know, you know, thinking about the game, there are a couple of different turning points in this game. One of them, and it may have been the biggest one because it was so early, was the, and I'm going to say it in air quotes, the controversial penalty. You're talking about a third and 10 play, and they throw a middle screen, and the Rams read it. Nicole Roby Coleman comes up and blasts him, and all of a sudden here comes the flag, and the flag is for a personal foul uh, because he did not have uh, a defenseless receiver because he did not have time to make a football move. That is the dumbest excuse I've ever heard in my life. The defenseless receiver call is for when it's an uncatchable ball and you hit him. Absolutely. And, and, we, and we were going back and forth in text, and you were spot on with that. I mean, the punt the returners, right? I think that's where you're going with. Yes. As a punt returner, the guy catches the ball and gets drilled. You're supposed to give him two yards. That two yards is nowhere to be found anymore in the NFL, right? It, you don't get ha- those two it, yards anymore. Stevie D, it happened in the game. Later on. Oh, yes, game, right. Correct. Yes. One of the Rams was, was back to catch the punt and then just got dropped. It never had that halo that they talk about that's supposed to be around him. He didn't have that halo. The guy just came from the Patriots, came up and just blasted him. And, and we're we're talking same game. That I I think it was a makeup call. That that's what I think. I think they found they had their chance with the player from the Saints game. And they said we're giving you a makeup call. But wow. it, it it was definitely a turning point because again we're talking about a third and ten play that they blew up. They were going to have to punt. Now again. The Rams' offense wasn't doing anything either, but you never know, right? Maybe you get a good return. Maybe you start at midfield. Maybe they're able to get the jump on it. I don't know. The the other just huge play, and it's not the Stephon Gilmore interception because that was an underthrown pass. I'm talking oh, about oh. Brandon Cooks wide open yeah. at the back of the end zone. Wide open, no nobody around him for at least ten yards. I give McCourty credit for getting back there, but that's all on Jared Goff getting the ball there late. It is right. It is the guy made a great play and soft. Yes. So I yes, it was a great play because the McCourty saw what was going on and said, "Uh oh, I got to get back there." Absolutely, I give the play. I give him credit for recognizing getting back there, and it ultimately made the play. But, but hold on, play, Stevie. Yeah, d- d- don't underscore this play. He had he had coverage on the sideline. He had he was on the sideline uh, in man to man coverage going down the sideline 
when he saw that ball go into the middle of the field. And in a dead sprint, now to your point, Goff just, you know, lollipopped that ball down there, giving him time. But in a dead sprint, he went from that sideline to that goalpost and was able to deflect that ball. That was insane. The amount of distance that he covered to make that play and to get there in time, not to get a penalty for pass interference or or anything along those lines, that 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 was a huge play, huge play. No, it was, it was. But you know, I guess I didn't see the replay where he's coming some such a from a far distance and having the awareness to say to read the quarterback's eyes and says, "Oh my God, Cooks is open." I'm watching the quarterback's eyes. I I got to be there, right? I mean, in, in the Madden world, what is that, a, a 98 rating for awareness right there? Right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. So then we look at, well, this game is really boring, really lousy. Nobody really wants to, to earn MVP except for one guy. My guy. My guy. Got oh, your guy, your guy had no shot. <laughs> Oh, yeah, the only touchdown the game, right? 1,200 to one odds. Man, that's my boy. He got most of his yards in garbage time. Your guy had no shots. <laughs> no, but I'm talking about the MVP of the game. That would be Mr. Julian Edelman. And I got to tell you, and maybe it's just the hype of him winning MVP and him being the only standout in the game. 10 receptions for 141, which basically were all done in the first half. But now they're talking about Hall of Fame? No, no. Are you kidding me? No, no. Hall of Fame because I, I half my catches are based off a of pick play. Um, and then I'm, I'm wide open because of the pick play. No, Hall of Famer. Give me a break. Give no, me a break. You know why he's not a Hall of Famer? You know why he shouldn't have been MVP? Because he was suspended for four games for subs- for uh, a PED. Well, that 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 will go down that way. But he's not a Hall of Famer even with that. I mean, give me a break. Well, I I agree with that. But I mean, they got they got this BS offense they run over there that for some reason the league can't figure out how to stop it. It's the most boring offense in the NFL I've ever seen, and they run the same set of plays, and no top notch defensive coordinators in this in this world can stop it you know it's coming we're all yelling at the tv what they're going to do right everybody says tony romo can see everything coming well you know what all the fans sitting on the bench that that are from the afc east know this playbook and it's the same plays over and over again and nobody can find a defense to stop it now and as much as i want to give wade phillips credit because he did shut down the patriots offense I just want to know, first play of the game, he had a keep to leave lined up man-on-man on Edelman. That's his best corner. And, and Marcus Peters played a great game. No, no disrespect to Marcus Peters. He played one heck of a game. But why don't you have, at least for that matchup, no matter where he goes, that Tlaib is on him and not giving him a 10-yard cushion? Jam him at the line. Knock him on his ass. Why, why isn't that done? I'm telling you, we scream this all the time. I don't know why. Edelman is not fast. Why can't you jam him at the line and disrupt the whole timing of the play? He's not going to burn you. Not at all. That ends it. That ends it. Well, of course, you're playing the Patriots, so you're going to get 
either pass interference or a defensive holding. <laughs> but still, they they can't call that all the way through the game. That that's what they should have been doing. But Stevie D, I, I'm going to tell you, for as much as we want to laud the Patriots for their winning their sixth title, their sixth Super Bowl, the Rams really didn't come to play. No, oh, no, they did. The defense did. The defense did. did. Thirteen points. They played to win. There's no doubt about it. But. Sean McMay's uh, offense and the lack of adjustments that that they that they did during the game was ridiculous. You're not lying. Lack of adjustments. They made one adjustment and then they reverted back. Their offense. They called the exact same play. They would have the receiver go in motion. It would either most of the time it was Robert Woods going in motion. They would have either Gurley or C.J. Anderson. They would do a play-action fake, and then the first option for Jared Goff was to go with the the deep intermediate route or to take the deep home run pass to Cooks. That was it. If they didn't, if Goff didn't go there, then he would look at his checkdown, and at that point, there was no time to look at the checkdown because that that guard Blythe, who was just getting absolutely abused in the rest of the offensive line. They, they were just allowing the Patriots to come through. But can can you mix it up? Can you go into a 12 formation? Can you go into a 13 set? I mean, you you can change your offensive set just just because Cooper Cup is not in there. Come on, man. Yeah. No, I, I Todd Gurley, is he hurt? Is he not hurt? Is he in the doghouse? Right? What, what's the deal with Todd Gurley? Because it's been strange. Um, he's no. not on any injury reports, right? But yet he gets what did he have? Four carries, six carries? No, he ended up I think he ended up with like ten carries. Yeah, he had ten carries for thirty-five yards. What is that all about? I don't know. Cause his first carry so he had what the carry on the on the opening possession that went for like negative two yards. And then you didn't see he, he stayed in the game for a couple more plays and then he was gone for almost the entire first half. Just standing on the sidelines and the camera just kept looking at him. And to your point. He's not on the injury report. I'm going to tell you now, he is still hurt. He got hurt, what, with the last, the second last game of the season. That's when he got hurt. He was on the injury report for that game, for the following game. And then, you know, he played in the playoffs. He had the good game, uh, the good in the divisional. He didn't do anything in the conference. And then, you know, you have the Super Bowl. If they really wanted to investigate this, they would find that McVay was tampering with that with that injury report because he is hurt. Well, I, I think the Patriots knew he was hurt, and I think the Patriots knew that they didn't have to worry about any running game hurting them. I agree with you. And then then it turned in, well, golf's going to have to beat us, and we're going to take away your best weapon, and now what are you going to do? I agree with and, you. And I think that's how we came out to be three points. Because what did we talk about in the Super Bowl preview show? Right, this is what Belichick does to young quarterbacks. That he yep. just confuses them. Now you give him two weeks to prepare. Ooh, boy, yeah, even tougher. Absolutely. And, and, and here's the funny thing now, right? So it, you remember a couple of years ago when the Patriots were in the Super Bowl? I believe they were playing the Seahawks, and Malcolm Butler, yeah, was, did not MVP. Start. 
No, right. he no, he was the MVP of that one. It was the following Super Bowl. The, the following Super Bowl, right? Because he had the interception. The yeah. following Super Bowl, he he did not start, and he played like maybe one or two plays in in that game. And what did he do? He refused to speak to the press. Well, hey, let let's start from the beginning. He was not on the injury report, <laughs> right? He refused to speak to the press. And next thing you know, you know, rumors started swirling and he was gone. Do so you saying Todd Gurley's going to get traded to the Jets? <laughs> well, guess what, Stevie D? <laughs> Todd Gurley was not on the injury report. He refused to speak to the press. <laughs> so he is now the Malcolm Butler <laughs> of Super Bowl 53. <laughs> yeah, but it, if he was truly hurt, I think I think he's hurt. I, I do, I do too. But play him, play him. You don't have to run him if you're going to do that same yeah. play action that that you ran. I'd much rather you do the play action with Gurley than to do it with C.J. Anderson. Yeah. And I mean, no disrespect what, to C.J. Anderson right. either. There was that Super Bowl between the Broncos and Packers with Terrell Davis. Yep. Right, because he had the migraines and he came over to the sideline. I I can't see. And what did Shanahan say? Hey, bud, I just need you in there as a decoy. Yep. And that's all they did was decoy, and that helped John Elway immensely in that Super Bowl just because Terrell Davis was on the field. He didn't touch it, but it gave the presence of, oh, he may run it. And without without Todd Gurley in there, you never had that threat. That's right. That's right. So, you know, you, you look at the Rams, you look at their, their offensive play calling from the offensive genius, That that's what – Sean McVay is supposed to be that offensive genius. And it, it, that didn't show on the big stage. And we had talked about that as well. You know, what happens when you get to the big stage? Almost, I feel almost like you, Stevie D, because that was one of the things I said. You know, you get these boy wonders, these boy geniuses. They get out there, you know, when it's a regular season game and not as much riding on it. You know, they, they are so uh, deep in their playbook, calling fakes and reverses and, you know, changing everything. But all of a sudden, once everybody's watching them on the biggest stage, what do they do? They freeze up. I didn't think McVay was going to freeze up. I'll be honest with you. I didn't think so, but he absolutely did. But you know who else froze up was Jared Goff. Right. And I wonder if McVay saw some of that. And what do you do when your quarterback's stuck in headlights? Right? Deer in headlights. What do you do? You talk to him, I'm sure, but – you throw screens. Um, That's what you do when your offensive line is just getting absolutely run over. Well, they, they did get run over. You're right. That's what you're supposed to do. It should be quick routes. It, it should be slant screens, draws. It should be all of that. It, you know, if you're going to leave Anderson in there or put in one of your other backs and run a draw. I mean, these guys were – I mean, they were on him. I, I felt bad for Guff because what he needed – and every young quarterback needs that, especially when they're on the big stage. They need that one completion, right? They need that one just to kind of say, okay, we're good. We're ready to go. We talked about that with Trevor Lawrence in the Alabama-Clemson game, right? right? Yeah, he you could see he was rattled early, and then all of a sudden he he hit that, that deep pass, and then he, okay, I'm ready to go. But Goff didn't get a chance to do that. Goff showed that he's not ready for the big stage, but also he he's not ready to be able to take the team on his back. And McVeigh, by being 
you know, and I keep calling him the the boy wonder, boy genius, just because he's you know one of these young coaches. Uh, it, it, it's almost the my way or highway with no confidence in golf, right? Because golf should have been able to see at the line, look, no, this play isn't going to work. Let me check out of that, you know, and, and throw a wide receiver screen, a bubble screen, a tight end screen, you know, throw a slant, throw, throw a rub play, do something like that. Right. And but you know what? This is what I'll say about what with McVeigh and, and golf. You have all off season now to review the tape. Watch the Super Bowl until you puke, and hopefully the head coach sees that, recognizes it, and makes adjustments to his game and how he coaches next year when he sees himself on film in the biggest in the on the biggest stage, right? Yeah. And hopefully it's it's something like we all know as leaders in, in anything that we do, you have sometimes you have to take a take a back seat and look at yourself and to see what you need to improve, right? And hopefully McVeigh does that, and he he doesn't have that ego where. Oh, that's it wasn't my fault. The quarterback didn't execute my game plan. Well, as a head coach, you should sit back and realize what could I have done differently in that game to help my young quarterback and help my team? What adjustments should I have made in that situation? And hopefully McVay does that and he learns from it, becomes a better head coach for it. Indeed. Indeed. The one the one adjustment that I that as you were talking about that I did think of that was actually smart. And I'm wondering how many teams are going to do this going forward against Belichick was that he waited, but you know, they, and they stayed in the huddle until the 15 second mark and why the 15 second mark was so key is that the coaches are allowed to communicate offensively to the quarterback, right? They're, they're the ones with the little green dot on the back of the helmet. And the coaches are allowed to co- to talk to the defense on the field typically to the linebacker or to the safety, whoever has the green dot for the defense. So by staying in the huddle until the mic's cut off, that limited Belichick in his ability to communicate with his leaders on defense to make adjustments on the fly. That was actually very smart, but it didn't work. (laughs) It didn't work, but it it, it was definitely something smart. CVD, let me ask you. Now, the Rams went out, paid big money for Indomitian Sue. Mm-hmm. Did he line up in the game? Was he hurt? No, he played. Wait, he, he was active? He was there. He was are active. You, are, are you sure? Yeah, I'm pretty sure I saw him out there. During I pregame mean, or during the regular game? Because uh, I'm going to yeah. tell you, I didn't see Indomitian <laughs> Sue out there. <laughs> you pay all this money to get to bring some guy, some guy out there who's supposed to be a force – and he's supposed to be coupled with the the NFL in defensive MVP. You should have a dynamic defensive line. That guy was a no show. He was a no show. He was a no show. He was there in all the previous games. It's it just yeah. It, maybe you just tipped a hat to to the other team and say maybe they doubled them a little bit more or they chipped him or whatever. Um, but it was not to be for Nadamik and Sue. No, no. And so, how, many, how, how many millions of dollars do you think that cost? Or how many years on a contract that may have cost him for next year? Uh, that That's a good question. That That's because his, truly his production has never been the same over the last three to four years. Well, you know, once he, he got his payday from, from Miami. True. You know, that that's what I hate about paying some players, right? It's like, all right, they pay for the big contract because they said I earned it. Because they earned it on previous play, and then when they get the contract, do they work as hard once they got the money? And 
And to me in Miami, I mean, I was not happy when he went to Miami. I was like, oh, you got to be kidding me. Now I got to line up against this guy twice a year. And he was nothing. Never, never were you worried about him. <laughs> no, no. I was worried about him taking a cheap shot, like stepping it, on my quarterback's hands with his spikes or something. That's the only thing I really worried about. Yeah, taking a cheap shot at your kicker. Yeah, I don't know who would do something like that. So that that that's going to put a bow on that one, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, you're right. We both picked that one right, but that I would have rather have taken the L for that one. Uh, and speaking of L, did you hear about the ratings in Louisiana? No. So I know the ratings were bad in L.A. Oh, oh well, yes. Another L. <laughs> uh <laughs> Overall, the ratings were were down for this game, but in, in New Orleans, in, in Louisiana in general, they had a blackout Super Bowl party. They are nice. still holding grudges against the NFL mm-hmm. and against this game for the non-call in, in the NFC Championship game. So they had a Super Bowl party, but they didn't watch the game, and they just hung out and do what they do in New Orleans, do what they do best, and they just partied. But the the numbers, the percentage, I believe, was twenty six percent that they had, which compared to the previous year was more than half, or, or less than half of what they had the previous year. So that that, that shows you that folks in New Orleans were were not happy. Well, I gotta not be honest happy. with you, I wouldn't have been happy either. I probably wouldn't watch the Super Bowl knowing that it was a fraud. Well, I still you still blame your your coach. No, I don't. I'm sorry. I don't blame the coach. I bl- I blame the 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 NFL for putting four LA um, <laughs> LA residents out on the field. I'm sorry. Good point. Right. Good Trying point. To, I I think they really wanted. You no, know, it sounds funny. I know it sounds cynical, but it's just like, did the NFL really want an LA team? In the Super Bowl, the show. Look, the football is back in LA, and look how quickly they went back to a Super Bowl. Like we told you, football is important in LA. And then you see the Super Bowl ratings come out, and you say nobody really cares about football in LA because yeah. that's what it means. Nobody cares about football in LA. You, you know, you, you're you're about to open up something that hasn't really been said, and, and that's a true conspiracy there. Yeah. And I can go with you 100%. Because I'm telling you, if you look, I know we're digressing here, but if you looked at that one video with the linesman, number 60, pointing at the other official running down the sideline, like the other official is like, hey, there's something there. And that guy is pointing to that referee saying, get back. There's no penalty here. When there was clearly two fouls, something's cooking. Something was cooking on that play. I'm sorry. Well, and, and added to that, Goodell, in his typical cowardly fashion, was silent. You you didn't hear anything from him after that. You and, know what? and as the leader and the commissioner of the NFL, you could come out with the the generic statement that you know, there there every play there's a penalty, and that you know it happened so fast on the field, and it's a judgment play, and blah blah blah. You know the the regular. I mean, I I should or notice. You just come out, or you can just come out and say, you know what, we blew it, but we're not going to go back and replay it because it's just really not going to happen. The play's over, the game's over, teams have moved on, and getting ready for the Super Bowl. I'm sorry, right? Yes, 
I, I'd rather you say something like that because if I'm a Saints fan, all right, he acknowledges they, they screwed up. They're really not going to – I'm not going to like it, but I'm not going to hold it against the league because the, the head of the league stood up and took ownership of it. And Just take ownership of it. You no, know, he's not going to do that. Well, they, 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 would, that. they would never admit that 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 they blew it, but they they certainly could say you know there that calls happen all the time. After looking at the tape in slow motion, you know definitely it's a play that could have been called, but things happen so fast. You know, kind kind of put it out there where you know it's a bang bang. But yeah, it say something, say something. He was silent. Yeah. So you know, who on Roger Goodell? Does, does he does he go down as the worst commissioner in football? Oh yes, <laughs> yes. Especially look at his predecessors and, and look what they did. Look at what Tagliabue right. did. Look at what Roselle did. I mean, the, these these two guys, those last two guys, revolutionized the game of football that we know today. I, I, hands down, whether it be as part of the merger between the AFL and the NFL. Uh, growing the league, expanding into other cities, building the brand. I mean, they, th- those two guys, you know, love them or hate them, they, they were the ones that set up the NFL. Goodell comes in, and he is nothing but a puppet of the owners, the puppet of a Jerry Jones, a puppet of a Daniel Snyder, a puppet of a Robert Kraft. That that's what he is, and yes, I said a puppet of a Robert Kraft. I was going to say, you know, the people in New England wouldn't agree with you, right there. Well, they then tell them to go get the videotape out of the garbage. Oh, and, when they cheated against the New York Jets all those times. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Well, tell them go get that videotape, and then we'll have a different conversation. You know, you you want to complain about you know something ten years later where you cheated again and, and finally he had to do something. Well, that's because he shredded the vi- the evidence from the videotapes. Right. I, and, you know, that, that was a joke. So Goodell has always been a joke. And th- once again, here here is another check in the box to show where he's weak. But uh, on to some other things, Stevie D. So the game was bad. So you figure, well, when they go to commercial, we should have some good commercials. Well, I got to tell you, Fumble. That was by far my favorite commercial. Okay, when, when, where where when, was the Buffalo Bill in that? Again, it's not about the Buffalo Bills, right? It's about the holistic of the of everybody they brought in from all of the leagues and how they choreographed that commercial. You couldn't have brought Jim Kelly in. Tell me, hold, yeah, I know, I know, I hear you, but let, let let's put that aside for now. We can it's come hard. back to that. It's hard. Right, we'll we'll come back to that. But tell me when Marshawn Lynch didn't put his finger in the cake and that ball hit the ground. You tell me right now that you didn't yell out fumble like they all did. Okay, I did. I did. <laughs> I'm telling you, I yelled fumble. It was that was great. And just how they did the the the, the commercial was, was fantastic. That was my favorite commercial, I have to admit, by far. Um, other than that, I, I pretty much snoozed through most of the commercials. So <laughs> early on, I told you. That Pizza Hut wasted five million. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was wrong. They wasted ten million because the commercials were going for five million a pop. They wasted ten million dollars in the first ten minutes of the game. Those were the worst two commercials out there, and there were some bad ones. The Michael Bublé and Bubbly and all that. I was like, oh, you got to be kidding me. The Mermaids. Oh, what is this <laughs> with Shark Tank? The right. the the commercial that. I guess 
I told you I thought was the leader in the clubhouse was the Bud Light commercial where they had the delivery, not the Game of Thrones one. That that one, I was like, what? But <laughs> when they did the delivery of corn syrup <laughs> to, to the kingdom of Bud Light, and they're like, what? We don't put corn syrup. <laughs> and they rolled it over to Miller Light. Right. And, and Miller Light was like, Oh, thank you. We do use corn syrup, but we already got our delivery. So they threw some shade on Miller Lite. And then Miller Lite was like, did you try Coors Light? Because they use corn syrup. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, you know that commercial pissed off the whole Farmers of America, right? Sure did. (laughs) Sure, sure did. (laughs) But you can never make anybody happy. (laughs) (laughs) You can't even make the farmers happy. But that commercial was funny. That that one was good for me, at least for me. Here's the other thing that I laughed at. We had talked about prop bets oh, yeah. leading up to the game. And, the, you know, you had all kinds of prop bets. Who's going to win the coin toss? You know, who's going to win MVP? Who's going to score first? Who's going to get a seat? You know, all, all kinds of crazy prop bets. Well, the one prop bet that they had that's pretty standard and universal is how long is it going to take to sing the national anthem? Well, here's the craziness. Did you hear the story on this one? I did, but please share it with everybody because I don't know if everybody's heard. So the the question was, how long was it going to take Gladys Knight to sing the national anthem? So she sings the national anthem, and I'm timing it because I want to see where the number is. And I have it as an over, right? And everybody thought that it was an over. Because I think the way that she sang the song, it was over in like 153. And, and the under over was 150, a minute 50 seconds. Well, that was okay. I'm going to let you go because I thought it was a little different, but maybe I'm mishearing you. So when that happens, people start to go to collect their money. Well, one of the sites, and I don't know the name of the site, not that I'm, I'm trying to. Uh, leave their name out of it. I just don't know the site. One of the sites that was taking that prop bet said, no, we can't pay you on that. And the controversy is when she sang the song, she actually said brave twice. (laughs) And so now they're trying to determine when did the song end? Did it end at the first brave or did it end at the second brave? Second brave. It should be the second brave. So now, now you got people that bet on it that won and didn't get their money back. Well, so I heard a secondary story that talked about it. I'm not going to go into a, a, a long story about it. That talked about they had her, they were recording her in the pregame and how long it was taking her through in the warmups to do the song. Like the day before the Super Bowl, they were timing her. And somebody released those results. Oh, I didn't hear that one. Yeah. Yeah. Of that she was going over the initial on the prop bet, <laughs> she was going over, and somebody released that information prior to the Super Bowl, and so they were people were getting well. Wait a minute, it's almost like um, insider trading. Somebody <laughs> released that data out to the public before the Super Bowl, so a lot of people started taking the over because of what was sent out. Out on uh, I don't know I'll call it Twitterverse, but I I don't know how it, where it got released. But yeah, those, those statistics. And then she I think she went two oh one or two oh three was the actual recorded time, from what I understood. Okay. 
Um, so I thought that was interesting um, as well. So a lot of controversy on that that uh, prompt bet. You, you know, the one that I was waiting to find out what was good, what it was going to be, was the the get back coach for the Rams. <laughs> Remember, we as we yep. were going down going down the list. And you never heard his name mentioned at all. Uh, Ted Rath remained nameless by Jim Nance and, and Tony Romo. It, it's it's another season that has come to an end. And as it comes to an end, of course, that means that it's time for the awards. And just a couple that I, I want to point out. You, you had a multi-recipient in Mr. Patrick Mahomes, who deserved every bit of credit for the season that he had this year. He he won NFL MVP and NFL player or offensive player of the year. Well deserved. I mean that to me it's unanimous uh both on both sides. Uh, he put up numbers that people dream about and I think it's I think it was done only one other time in the history of the NFL and this guy did it a, a second year in the NFL and, and as a first year starter. Just yes, insane. But the passes he he did this year were ridiculous. On the run, um, no look passes with his left hand, um, throwing across his body, thirty five yards on the line, uh, just remarkable throws that you don't even see people do when they don't have pads on, right? Because the pads kind of restrict certain things that you can and cannot do with your arm. Uh, the the kid's a freak in in every good way sense of the word. Absolutely. And and I mentioned uh, Aaron Donald was the um, defensive player of the year. But the one award that, that I want to talk about that, that they gave out was the Walter Payton Man of the Year. And every time you, you watch the video trailer for the tribute for the player who wins that, you're like, wow, you know, well-deserved. But I'm going to tell you, Chris Long, dude. <laughs> mad props for everything that he is doing, everything he stands for. Just, just excellent, excellent, excellent. Very happy for him and, and well-deserved. You did make a point that he did not, he did not acknowledge, at least from what we saw on the field, he did not uh, acknowledge the uh, Peyton family before the game. And, yeah, and- that's the one of the first things I observed. I was like, wow, where is that coming from? But I, I'm sure, I, I mean, just looking at that video tribute, I'm sure there was something that was done, and it probably was, you know, contrived by Mr. Roger Goodell. Nope, you don't talk to these people. <laughs> just keep it moving. Keep and it I'm moving because sure, we got so much to do. Yep, we got an exciting barn burner that we're ready to get going. Yeah. <laughs> and then they they announced the Hall of Fame class. Yeah, yeah. How'd that, needle, how'd that needle move for you? And don't give me about Woo! these Jets. Three I'll, Jets, baby. I'll give you Kevin Mawai. Three That's Jets going in the Hall of Fame. I mean, we're just going to start off with, you know, a couple of Hall of Famers, I guess. Uh, Ball Hawking, Ed Reed, former New York Jet. Oh, my goodness. Right? And, and uh, former Jet, Ty Law. Two-time oh, Jet. Two-time oh, Jet, Ty Law. Hold on. While, while you're going at this, let, let me just – have our listeners go to profootball.com or profootballhalloffame.com. And right front page, they have all of the players in their jerseys. Okay, please continue. And then the great center, <laughs> Kevin Mawai. I mean, that guy was a beast. Unbelievable. I, I'm just so excited for Kevin Mawai. Uh, 
because yeah. I, I think he was such a um, underrated when it came for voting into the Hall of Fame. It took a while for for him to get there. Um, I just thought he was a uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Just he was such a smart football player, um, and he was a, a, a truly the end of the sense of the word of a general, a field general out there as a center. So I'm really excited for him. And, you know, a tidbit on Ty Law. You know, Ty Law's most interceptions he ever had in the season came with the New York Jets with 10, just by the way. So he just wasn't a, a throw-in player for the Jets. He actually was <laughs> quite successful for the uh, NYJ. If um, it wasn't for that season, he wouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. Well, probably. <laughs> I, probably. <laughs> but but it's nice to see the NYJ going in on three plaques this year. Um, a very, very exciting time to be a New York Jets fan. You're counting people who <laughs> finished their career with you, played what? one year. What? I, it's not like I mentioned Art Monk or Ronnie Lott or, or you know, players <laughs> like that that, that donned the, the green and white. Brett Favre, right? I mean, come on. They put it on it. and couldn't wait to take it off. No, <laughs> no, look, know what it is? They said, I cannot, I cannot end my football career without putting on the green and white of the New York Jets. If I stand any chance of getting in the hall, I better put this jersey on. See, you understand it. <laughs> well, let, let's let's go down the list, and right. you tell me yes or no for if you were voting. Okay. Champ Bailey. Yes. Yeah, I would too. Pat Bolin as a as a contributor. Well, yeah, yeah, you know Pat Bolin. Let's yes, Pat Bolin. Why? I mean, he why. Come on. He he's had a lot of successful football teams out there. A lot of success. So as an owner and putting a team together. So as long as you're an owner and your team has won a Super Bowl, then no. you go well, not necessarily because because uh Ralph Wilson went in. He but he went in for other reasons. Well, Ralph Wilson was a staple in the NFL, right? He was one of the original owners to help bring you know the AFL to the uh, to the NFL. That's correct, right? That, that's right. So it's like it's like uh, the the uh, Hunt family, right? I mean, that's you're a pioneer at that point. Yeah. All of those owners that were there that really had that voice. I wouldn't say every owner, but a lot of the Al Davis, right? And so, but I, when I when you look at Pat Bowen, he had two really good successful runs as an owner um, in in the NFL, and he. Again, do we know everything he's done, maybe behind the scenes that we may not know about because that's just the way he was? I'm sure there's a lot to that that we don't know about Pat Bowen. But when you look at the success of his franchise, he was a very, very successful owner in the NFL. See, I I would look at owners that truly tried to change the game for good. Those are the owners. And if you didn't try to change the game for good – you're not going in. I don't need to have an owner or a contributor go in every year. I don't. I And you're right. I don't know all that Pat Bolin has done. But what I can see on the surface, okay, so your team was successful. That just does not mean that you go into the Hall of Fame. Longevity. We talk about players in sports. Are they Hall of Fame worthy just because they played 20 years or they played 25 years? You know, you're going to have ups and downs, and certainly he's had that with with the Broncos. I don't know. Let 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 let's continue. Gil Brandt. Don't know much about him. Got to be honest. So I Gil Brandt, yes, because I think that he brought a lot to the NFL. 
certainly a little bit before mod, you know, modern today's football, but certainly I, I would I would say yes for Gil Brandt. But now let's get back to the players. Tony Gonzalez. Yes, uh, yeah, but if you ask the fans in Kansas City, they would say no right now. <laughs> I heard, I heard. That, that was a, a pretty bit. poor, a pretty poor choice of words. Uh, I know he was in Atlanta, and maybe he felt the pressure saying that. But uh, that, uh, elaborate, just, elaborate a little bit. So, Tony, Tony obviously is in Atlanta for the Super Bowl, um, and they interviewed him in Atlanta about his, you know, being elected to the Hall of Fame and. He pretty much comes out and says, um, Atlanta made my career, right? And everybody in Kansas City is like, what, 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 can you repeat that, please? Uh, I don't think I heard you correctly. I think they're static on the line, right? <laughs> and and they say, well, wait a minute. You you spent 12 years here. You had 76 touchdown catches here. You had all these receptions here in your 12 years. But you're saying Atlanta made your career when you, you spent five years in Atlanta and you had 36 touchdown catches and – it just it rubbed the people wrong here, and and I think, and really at the end of the day, I think he had one or two more playoff wins in Atlanta than he did in Kansas City because he only had one playoff win in Kansas City. But to me, that's just slapping the face. You didn't need to go that route, and um, know know your audience that you're speaking to. I think that was a little little insensitive by by Tony Gonzalez. I think if he were to have a do over, I think he realizes that he made a huge mistake, and I. Again, he was in Atlanta, so he's trying to make the, the hometown fans there in Atlanta feel good. But he didn't realize that he inaliated a whole Midwest here that that's always pulled for him. Because when he got traded to Atlanta, a lot of Kansas City here was still a Tony Gonzalez fan. And were wishing for him to get to a Super Bowl and win a Super Bowl in Atlanta, knowing that he couldn't get it here. Because at that point in time, the direction of the franchise were going in two different directions. So that to really crap on the, the fans of Kansas City, I, I thought was was poor, poor by by Tony G. I thank you. <laughs> I I can't I can't say any more than that. Um, that that is, I, if you're going to give him an excuse, that is because you like you said it was in Atlanta. He was in Atlanta when the interview happened. But I, I'm going to tell you flat out, Tony Gonzalez was made as a hall of famer because of his time in Kansas city, not because of his time in Atlanta. He was nowhere near the same tight end that he was in Kansas city. I, it wasn't even close. I mean, granted it was at the end of his career, but that's the whole point. He exactly. wasn't explosive. Like he was in Kansas city. I mean, he was, I mean, he, there was, there is no what Jimmy Graham, right? Right. Right. I mean, Tony Gonzalez was that tight end that was part wide receiver, part tight end. He was Gronk before there was Gronk. That's right. Right? So that's what Tony Gonzalez was in Kansas City. And and so when he got to Atlanta, he was he was a secondary note. He was a compliment to Julio Jones and Roddy White. Right? He was a compliment. He was the piece they were missing in the middle of the football field. And then they found Austin Cooper or yes. Austin Hooper. <laughs> so, but anyway, let, let, let's go on. So, Ty Law, I know you 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 said yes. I'm I'm not I'm not sold on Ty Law for this class. I'm not. You think, you think he is in too early? I don't know. Hey, I always say I go by the smell test. The smell test isn't working for me here. Okay. 
Kevin Mawai, I agree with you. I, everything you said, having to see Kevin Mawai two times a year, yep, I, I'm I'm all of that one. He did well deserved. Ed Reed, <laughs> what I would have waved. I would have waved the five years to put him in earlier. I agree. <laughs> I <All> agree. Right. <laughs> I agree. Ed Ed is hands down. Where do you go to school? That's uh, right. That's right. You can say it. Everybody knows it. Just go ahead. Just say it. I want to hear it come off your tongue. So, as I was saying, Edward. <laughs> <laughs> what, did he go to Reed University? Is that what you're going to say? Yes. <laughs> How did they do on Monday Night Football? Yeah. St. Joseph's Catholic <laughs> High School. That That's where he was. No, but uh, I agree. You, you wave it. He's probably top one, top two safeties in the game ever, ever. Just a beast. He could do it all. He could hit you. He was a ball hawk. He was the quarterback back there. He he could do it all. He could do it all. And he was the key besides Ray Lewis to that Ravens defense. Hands down. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Uh, and then the last one is Johnny Robinson. Don't don't know much about Johnny Robinson to, to even say. But that's our Hall of Fame class. Steve Tasker was a notable omission again. Uh, and it's not looking good for Steve. So uh, whatever I can do, Steve, to try to help you out, uh, if you want to come on the show, you're more than welcome to come on the show and plead your case. We'd love to see you in the Hall of Fame. You know what? Maybe Official World Sports needs to be more of an advocate for Steve Tasker and get some uh, notoriety out there and get the the sports world buzzing about Steve Tasker as a Hall of Famer. I'm thinking we could do one better. If we get our listeners to start writing in and saying that we need to have a vote, that's what we need. We need to get to be able to have a vote because it goes to the media members. Why are we not able to get a vote? That's a fair point. And, and, and what I'll say as a Jet fan about Steve Tasker, and we talked about this quite often about different position players, whether you're a kicker or a punter, um, you know, th- those positions we talk about in baseball, a DH. Special teams is a position on the football. You get the 53 man on that roster is designated what? The special team specialist for that team. It's a position on the field. Steve Tasker created that position. He's the one that goes down. When you, when, when you put the picture of special teams player in the NFL encyclopedia, Steve Tasker's picture is there to associate his face to that position because he put that there. He was a dominant special teams player. And if you can put a punter in the Hall of Fame, you can put Steve Tasker in the Hall of Fame because you're still talking about leveraging field position, getting down the field, fighting off those blocks, getting down there and making those plays, creating fumbles. And when we went to five wide, he was on the field as a wide receiver. So, uh, again, I, I think Steve Tasker is one of those uh, role-defining players in a generation, right? Joe Namath, think about Joe Namath, right? Joe Namath had, I mean, he threw for a lot of yards, but he also had a lot of interceptions. But is Joe Namath in the Hall of Fame if he doesn't win Super Bowl three? No. Right. No. Steve Tasker is associated with special teams. So now that that's a that's a good question. If the Bills had won one of those four Super Bowls, does Tasker get in? Yeah, I couldn't. I don't know about that. But I just think the NFL 
doesn't pay any mind to the special teams player. It's like if you look at Devin Hester, right? He's a special teams stalwart with all the touchdowns he's had in his NFL career. I don't, does he get into the Hall of Fame? Right. So, who's that, that, better, Devin Hester or or or, or uh, Tasker? That's a great question. That's an offense versus defense type question for special yeah. teams. Right. But That's I'm a just great I, question. I, I, to me, Devin Hester is worthy as well when you think about it from all the special teams touchdowns that that he has scored in his career. But. Again, when I think of special teams, I think of the defensive side of special teams in my head, maybe because I'm more of a defensive guy than an offensive guy, but I think of Steve Tasker. And that's somebody who's not a Bills fan. That's just somebody you admire as a football player through the course of his career, right? Because he put people in the all, in, into the all, the Pro Bowl. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Now they have positions for special teamers at the Pro Bowl yeah. because of Steve Tasker. Right, because you know, kick returners are going to make it no matter what. You need kick returners and punt returners in the game, but you're you're talking about a a designated player to make special teams tackles. Well, I, I'm rooting for Tasker. I really am. CVD, we had some coaching hires finally. Yeah. <laughs> so the one that I laughed at. <laughs> so the Dolphins and Bengals were the the two holdouts. And they were waiting for coordinators from the Rams and from, from the Patriots. The Bengals can't get out of their own way. The, the, Did they hire Hugh Jackson? Oh, I wish. Oh, <laughs> I wish. Oh, I thought you were going to say Hugh Jackson for a second. <laughs> they hire Zach Taylor. And you say, who is Zach Taylor? <laughs> right? Not, not really a, a name that's out there a lot. But he's the former offensive coordinator from the Rams and, and their former quarterback coach. Do you think that they're having buyer's remorse right now? Like, wait, this is what you did? <laughs> you no. put up three points. This is what you're bringing to us. I, I, I don't. I can't. No, I don't. I don't think so. I really think. I look. I'm going to go back to saying what I said before. I think Deer was caught in the headlights, and they didn't have a chance winning that football game because that. The, the moment overmatched the quarterback. I, I honestly, you could say throw more screens. I don't know if that would have woken the kid up. I don't know if Zach Taylor could have woken that kid up. Maybe spelling sorts maybe could have walked the kid up. But I don't blame, I don't blame necessarily <laughs> Zach Taylor or, or, or Sean McVay for that performance. I'm, you know why I'm laughing? Because we saw the kicker with the spelling, spelling salts. Spelling salts, thank you. <laughs> kicker. Yeah. So... Maybe that was the problem. They took the smelling salts and gave it to the kicker instead of the quarterback to wake him up. I well, we'll see what, what we'll see what he does because he he is a Sean McVay prodigy. He said he's gonna, you know, he's going to be the one to call the plays like McVay. He's gonna, you know, do exactly what McVay does: sit on the bench, talk to his quarterback, do do all that kind of stuff. We'll see. I, I don't see this working out too well for them. Now, do you, do you see it not working out because he's that inexperienced, or do you see it not working out because Andy Dalton is more of a seasoned veteran? And will that young coach with Andy Dalton really work because that quarterback's already established? Like, you're not going to change me? Like, like Sam Darnold is so young, 
any young quarterback goes in there, they're going to work hand in hand because that young quarterback doesn't know any different. Yeah, I I don't see it working out because first it's the Bengals, but taking taking that away, I I, I think that it's a fad. What's going on with the Rams? I'm I'm not sold, and, and maybe it's that I'm a traditionalist, and you know you got to show me like I'm from Missouri, right? Um, they they had something, they put something together, but keep in mind the Rams put in a whole lot of money into that team. They 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 basically spent everything they had to try to build a winner, whether it be on the offense or defensive side of the ball. So you you had some you had some studs on that team. Um the Bengals aren't gonna have that. Okay, they're they're not gonna they're they're gonna have some players, but then they're not gonna have the same level. So that's one thing. You're you're having again, you bring in Sean McVay, but that doesn't mean that his tree is fully built, fully formed, and ready to go. He's a second-year head coach, right? So right. you're you're bringing in this guy, and he's supposed to be the next greatest thing. Yeah, I'm I don't know. And then you add to it, you ha- you're going to a veteran offense. You're not. You don't have first, second, and third-year guys. You you got guys that have been in the league that are basically looking, you know, to make their, their final hurrah. You, you, you have an AJ green who technically is going to be a free agent or could be a free agent. That's somebody that other teams are looking at. So you may lose your top wide receiver. You have Andy Dalton who really he he's turning into being one of those, those quarterbacks. And what I mean by that is that he's good enough to make you, a decent team, but he's not good enough to take you over the hump. Oh, I, I couldn't agree more. I could not agree more on Andy Dalton and that evaluation. Um, how many times did they start three and zero, three and one, four and one, five and one, five and two, and next thing you know, they finish at eight and eight. Right. It, it's absolutely incredible, um, and, it, and that's as, what he is. He's an average quarterback. Agree. And as a veteran, you you should be able to to go into those quarterback meetings, to go into those offensive meetings and be able to say, this is what I have seen from my past experience. And it's just not happening. doesn't matter what coordinator they have in there, you know? So I, I don't, I don't see it working out well. I, I, you know, I see this guy out two, maybe three years. He may get the third year, but I, and I think the Rams will end up re or I'm sorry, not the Rams, the Bengals will end up rebuilding. Uh, in in about two to three years, because everybody's going to be time for everybody to go. The hire that is going to be interesting will be Brian Flores with the Miami Dolphins. The Dolphins go defense, DVD. Yeah, they did. They're shaking things up over there in Miami. So, yes, you come from the Patriots. <laughs> but you're, you're following the, the history of what Matt Patricia – so Patricia was there forever in a day. So you're you're a DC for what a year, two years, um, and, and at the end of the day, we know who the real DC is for New England, right? Uh, but I don't want to label this guy like like Matt Patricia. He doesn't strike me as a head coach. I don't know what Detroit was thinking. Maybe he can turn out. He just looks coolest on the sidelines, uh, but. I, I just don't want to label Flores as, as somebody who can't win because Belichick ran the defense. 
um, I want to see him in action and how he handles certain things, how his demeanor is on the sideline, how he interacts with his offensive coordinator and his defensive coordinator and his special teams guy. You know, that's the type of interactions I want to see. So I, I want to reserve judgment on Brian, Brian Forrest um, because I think he can be something. Obviously, we don't know. But I look he, at Matt he, Patricia, and I, I agree with you. Matt Patricia is he, – he, he looks like a clown out there. I'm sorry. I, I, don't, I mean, it, it sounds he, awful, but – Here's the tough part for these guys, right? The, the the best situation for any of these guys to go into is an established team that has been successful. The coach has gotten up in age and decides that he's going to retire. You go to that team. When you go to a team that has either underachieved or a team that is just flat out bad, and I think the Dolphins check both boxes, there's a lot of pressure on you and there's a lot of pressure from day one. And by you being from the Patriot in the Bill Belichick tree, people are expecting instant Patriot success now down in South Florida. I think it's going to be a tall task for him to uh, achieve and sustain that type of success. And, and don't forget the Patriots aren't slowing down. Until Belichick is gone, that team is going to be good. And then you have, and not because they're our teams respectively, but our teams were at the bottom. <laughs> but our teams are young and our teams are getting better. So the Dolphins will be looking at teams that are getting better and a team that is at the top. That doesn't bode well for them in the division. Right. The, the other hiring is the Patriots had to replace Brian Flores. <laughs> and I can't believe who they chose. I... <laughs> I guess get? we knew it was coming. We knew he was coming back to the NFL. <laughs> who, did, who, who did they get? <laughs> Greg Schiano. <laughs> I mean, I, I'll tell you one thing. You better not take a knee. Because <laughs> he, may, he may have the defense rush the line of scrimmage. But I really can't believe this guy's back in the NFL. I, I really can't believe it. But at least oh, it's only he, for a defensive coordinator. If he does that <laughs> when he plays one of our teams – Oh, boy. I don't think Belichick will allow that. I, I don't That's think so not, either. Right? That, that Belichick, he may, he may be a lot of things, but he, he's not somebody like that. that, that uh, but that's, that's Bush. Uh, right, she had a nose defense. I'll give him that. He's, he's a defensive-minded coach. I, At the end of the day, like you kind of said, is he more of just a body to be there? Because uh, when, when, the, when the stuff's hitting the fan, Belichick gets his nose right in with that defensive huddle. And says what he has to say to those defensive players. So we all know yeah. Bill still runs that defense over there. To your point so, earlier about. So we got we got the 2019 power rankings, and we're we're gonna put those together and, and kind of do our early prognostications for where teams lie going into 2019. I guess right now, you know, the number one team is gonna be the New England Patriots. The Rams are going to fall in my book. Uh, in Stevie D, we, we haven't talked about it yet to put up our list. But I, I, I think one, two is going to be the Patriots and the Chiefs. So, Stevie D, let, let's change gears here a little bit. And the NBA trade deadline is looming. And the big prize out of the deadline is the unibrow. Anthony, Anthony Davis. You know, 
Anthony Davis is a special player, right? I'd love to see him with your New York Knicks. <laughs> right? A guy, a, a guy like Anthony Davis should be. I'm about be, to fall out of my chair. Yeah. No, I, I look. The New York Knicks basketball needs the New York Knicks, and the New York Knicks have been nowhere to be found. Right? There are nowhere to be found in the NBA. And the NBA needs needs the New York market to step up and, and figure this out. And the Knicks have been the doormats of the NBA for way too long. And I'm not a Knicks fan, right? But the Knicks need an Anthony Davis. They need to do something to jumpstart this franchise. They do. Right? Now, what I don't like about the name of Anthony Davis is I don't like his father. I don't like a father stepping in for a grown man saying that I don't want my son going here. I don't want my son going there. You need, you know, you just need to stay in the background and let your son handle that, that side of the business. Listen here, old man. <laughs> I, I, I agree with you in, in, because I take him, I take him in Boston, <laughs> even though his father don't want him there. <laughs> In in today's world, you know, just like the LeVar Balls of the world. So don't get it, me started with him. Please don't get me started with him. Yeah, I know. I know. Um, you know, there, there is too much sideline chatter coming from the parents and, and what have you. I I can't see the Pelicans trading him to anybody in the West except for the Lakers. Because if he goes to the Lakers, they are going to ask for a King's Ransom. And they've already put Kyle Kuzma and um, uh, Lorenzo Ball and I forget some. There was like four players that they put in there. um, Hart. and, And then they started to add draft picks, right? And they were adding multiple draft picks to try to get them. Basically, they would gut the team and take away any capital you had to try to build the team to get one guy. And that's what the Pelicans have to do. They, they have, if they trade them in inside their conference, they have to do that. If you trade outside, well, he he's already listed the teams and really the Knicks are the only team uh, in the East the Knicks have some have some capital, especially after the Porzingis trade, um, to to make it worthwhile. And then you have the the speculation that the Knicks are going to sign Kyrie Irving. So then Anthony Davis sees the big picture. Outside of that, I don't know who is willing to part with that much type capital to 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 land this guy. He's he is a stud. So whoever yeah. gets a, gets a stud, but who who's willing to commit to, to, to give up that much? If if the commissioner of the NBA is listening, and I know he does. He's an avid fan. He tells us all the time, you got to start talking more NBA. We hear you. <laughs> We're getting there. Right. But wait your turn. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> With all due respect. Uh, if there's any type of collusion that goes on behind the scenes. The commissioner of the NBA is going to the Pelicans and saying, look, I don't care what other deals you have on the table. We got to get the unibrow to New York because we're dying here in New York. We need the Knicks to be relevant in the NBA again. So whatever you need to do with Dolan, you got to figure it out and let's get this deal done. 
because it's really true. It truly is an embarrassment that the New York Knicks have been irrelevant for so long. They they literally cannot get out of their own way. Well, that's Dolan's fault. Yes, that, correct. That is flat out James Dolan. But he, but he may be a great businessman when it comes to getting money from your father and then buying a cable company. But he is a horrible businessman when it comes to running the Knicks. Right. And and I say that tongue in cheek as far as uh, a good businessman because he, basically he inherited that. Yep. But really, the NBA's got to figure out a way to get Anthony Davis to New York. They got to get Anthony because then you know those dominoes might be able to fall for the New York Knicks where they get it in free agency and they start building it. Yep. To become relevant again. So really well, for the sake plus, of the end. Plus my Knicks are going to get the number one pick and pick Zion Williamson from Duke. You know, this is what's going to happen. The Boston Celtics have uh, one number one pick. And the Boston Celtics are going to get that number one pick. And you're going to trade it. Danny Ainge, all he does is hoard his draft pick. You're going to trade it. We're not trading it. We're getting <laughs> the number one on draft day. Now. Will we trade it because we'll get a haul back because somebody wants to overpay? That that's a possibility, but don't count out the Celtics here to get the number one pick. <laughs> so where's Durant going to go? To the Knicks. So you <laughs> <laughs> wow. the Knicks go from winning 15 games a year to having Durant 15. Around. 15, we're only at 10. That's what I said. Well, you don't think you get five more to the end of the year? Well, ah. I guess it's February. Yeah, it, it, does, it doesn't tough. look good. It does yeah. not look All right, good. so 13 wins, <laughs> and then you think you're going to get Durant, Irving, and Unibrow? Oh, my God. And, and Zion. And Zion. Oh. We're getting the rookie. Oh, my God. You'll go from 13 to 64. <laughs> we're getting Greatest it, single turnaround in NBA history. And LeBron is going to take the league minimum to come, come and play. He's going to opt out. Oh, man, I'll tell you one thing. Those Lakers are a disaster. They got beat by 42. Yeah. By yeah. 42 points to the Indiana yeah. Pacers. That That's the worst loss in uh, LeBron James's uh, career, I believe. Yes. Yes, it was. And, they, right, they, they are in, in complete disarray. They had, you know, there were reports, and they started to be, first they were unconfirmed, and then they were confirmed. Uh, just a, it was not a physical altercation but it was more of a verbal altercation in the locker room. And we're talking like four and five guys that were battling against Luke Walton. He's done how he still has the job there. I don't know, but he is done. Um, And I'm wondering if LeBron is thinking, this is not what I signed up for. (laughs) I did not sign up for this. So the only thing to keep LeBron happy is to get Anthony Davis. Well, they got to do something out there in L.A. because it's imploding. And you're going to waste the great talent at the end of his career in, in LeBron James. Oh, I thought you were talking about Lonzo Ball. No. Well, look. Well, no. no. <laughs> I, honestly, I hope the kid suffers there and, and just to piss the father off because that guy's a disaster for a father. I'm sorry. And maybe it's all just to keep the name, the name in the news, and, and, and it's about publicity and dollars and, and all that. Maybe there's something behind his madness. Uh, as a father of, of, uh, of a child that's trying to be a, an athlete and what he's trying to accomplish in his young baseball career, I can't imagine being that kind of father and embarrassing my son in that fashion. Hey, have, because, you heard, have you heard the latest? 
what's the latest? So the now with all these trade rumors and trade speculation as far as um, Anthony Davis to the Lakers and you know the package, he calls up a radio station, oh. not once but twice in Phoenix, saying that he wants his son not to go to New Orleans but to go to Phoenix. He says if he goes to New Orleans, they have Holiday, and he's a good player. He wants his son to go there. He said that the Lakers are wasting his son. He said the Lakers are trash. He said that Luke Walton is trash. He said they have a loser mentality, which is probably true from that perspective, right? You have to learn how to win. So he may be right with that. But he continued to say that what they need to do is to get LaMelo, LiAngelo, and Lorenzo on the same team because they know how to win, or or Lonzo, because they know how to win. And and that 60% of the 100 will be people that know how to win. Excuse me? (laughs) And you just listen to him, and your your head just starts spinning. It just starts spinning. That guy guy is special. He is special. Believe me, if the Lakers can get away from ball, I mean the father, they would. I mean, they're going to have to trade the kid so the father gets out of there to, to, to stop the distractions. Yes, I absolutely agree. With and that. I feel bad for the kid. I honestly feel bad. I, don't, I know nothing about this kid, but I feel bad for him. I truly feel bad for him. Even if the kid is a train wreck of a person, I have no clue. But I feel bad for him because of his father. It's sad absolutely. that we talk about the father before we talk about the player. Yep. And that is the worst father you can possibly have. Because it's it's you're you're making it about you, and not about your son and his accomplishments. You're you're upstaging your son, right? Look, I wasn't happy about Archie Manning when he when he did with Eli Manning on draft day with the San Diego Chargers, right? But he didn't want his son going to San Diego because he didn't believe that they could develop a quarterback. So he wanted his son out of there because they seen what they did with other quarterbacks there. I understand the father's love. Now I'll give Archie credit. That after draft day, he went to the Giants, and you really didn't hear from Archie. But this guy, he just doesn't stop. And I really feel bad for the son. It's unfair to him. Because who's going to want that circus? I don't wouldn't want that circus. I wouldn't want to trade for the guy. He's damaged goods because of the father. He is. Well, he's damaged goods because of his jump shot. <laughs> well, yes. But when you think about it, if you're going to take, you know what? I can rehabilitate this kid. I, I see what's wrong. Right. right. Sometimes there's a coach out there that says, oh, man. Let's make this trade. I can fix him. I know exactly what's going on. But then you got to deal with the father opening his mouth. Yeah. Uh, that, that's, I, I just feel bad for the kid. So, Stevie D, it's time for Fantastic Finishes. Yes. And Fantastic Finishes is brought to you by Wanna Follow. Stay up to date on all your artist social media updates on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and all the rest in one place. Wanna Follow's patent pending technology keeps you updated on all of your favorites by bringing all of their social media updates to you. And Stevie D, <laughs> I couldn't believe this when I heard it. There are some, and this this is by Ken Rosenthal for Major League Baseball. There are some proposals for the 2019 season, which is getting started in just a few weeks. Pitchers and catchers report, what, this week or, or, or early next week? It's typically around the 15th, so the end of next week. 
So the in the next week, pitchers and catchers report. They are proposing one is a designated hitter in the National League. I don't have a problem with that. And the other one is I am going to call the Milwaukee Brewers rule. That's what I'm going to call it. Major League Baseball proposal for a three batter minimum for every pitcher who enters the game. And that the reason, is the, go ahead. The, well, the reason why I call this the Milwaukee Brewers rule is you had a very, very, very poignant argument against the Milwaukee Brewers in the way that they were using their pitching staff in the postseason. Yeah, you're referring to the start of Wade Miley, where the Brewers had a, a, a coup, I guess they call it, where they announced Wade Miley is the game four start. I'm making up what game it was, uh, of the NLCS. And they interviewed them the night before. How do you feel for your next start? I'm feeling great, blah, blah, blah. And he came out, pitched the next day. He pitched to one batter, and they took him out of the game. <laughs> Right, because they wanted the team to load up with a bunch of lefties in the lineup to switch out pitchers. So then they have all the lefties in the lineup, and now you got a lefty on the mound, or vice versa. I don't know if Wade's a righty or a lefty offhand, but vice versa. You know how you want to stack the lineup, sure. uh, I guess, right-handers or left-handers. So it, it was gamesmanship by Craig Council, uh, Craig Council, excuse me. And um, I I agree with you. I think it's a overreaction by major league baseball and at the end of the day do i really care he decided to burn a pitcher on the first bout of the game um to me it's stupid that a coach would do that but it's well in the rights of a team to do whatever they want when it comes to changing pitchers and i think major league baseball is is stepping somewhere they should not be and, and i don't disagree but think of it think about this one right <laughs> just think about this one so say they they go forward with this proposal and they say that you have to when when a pitcher comes in he has to pitch to three batters barring injury barring injury that's right so you bring me in and I just don't have it it's a 3-2 game you bring me or say it's a 3-1 game and I don't have it and the first pitch I throw is a ball way out of the zone. The second one is in the dirt. The third one almost hits the guy. And, you know, you can see him pacing, foot on the first step in the dugout right there, like, come on, get it together. The next one, I groove a fastball, gone. Oh, I, I got the perfect answer for you. What am so, I faking? Faking an injury? Yeah, I, I'm giving a sign. My, my, one of my platoon players, Every every pitcher knows it, that this certain player in the dugout for this particular game, if he scratches his ear and then touches his nose, you have to fake a hamstring injury, right? And then you get the pitcher out. So, you're going to have to do that because yeah. now by this rule, I have to stay in the game. Now I just gave up a home run. It's 3-2, right? So now I, I feel all the pressure. First pitch to the next batter, gone. Do you, now in, in the in today's game, do you think they're going to let me stay in there? Now I've just tied the game, but by this rule, by this proposal, I have to stay in the game for the third batter. 
it's stupid. It, it doesn't. It doesn't make any sense. And yes, you're going to get people that are going to try to circumvent the rules, or, or it, and it's not even a rule, but you're going to get people that that are going to do things that are unorthodox or that may, you, you could say, the even the integrity of the game uh, could could come into question. But you know, to force a team to do something like this, I I, I don't like it. I don't like it. So we'll see. Now, the, the the designated hitter for the National League, Stevie D, I don't like it, but I'm okay with it, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. I don't like it because I'm a traditionalist. Sure. Sure. No, and I get it. I, there is something about having something different in each league. But I, I think it's the union trying to get this through to get another uh, position player out there for 15, 16 teams out there. No, No doubt about it. No doubt about it. And, and it, here, here's another reason why I am for it, right? If I take away the fact that I'm a traditionalist, take that to the side. I can't stand when these pitchers come up to bat and they just leave the bat on their shoulder. You know how they changed, how they changed uh, the intentional walk last year? All you got to do is just say four and, and the guy just goes to first base. They might as well just do that with the pitcher. Just say, count them as an out. Three. That's three strikes. Because these guys, I've seen guys that come up there and they laugh at the fact that, you know, they're swinging for stuff in the dirt or they, they're so late on a fastball. They laugh. It's not funny. You're, you're one of the nine guys in that lineup, and if you're coming up to bat, what your duty is to try to get on base and, and eventually come home. Not laugh while you're at the plate. Right. Think of what it's going to do for scoring. So you're probably – the DH spot probably gets you 0.7 runs per game. So you're talking about on an average game, you're averaging one and a half more runs per game. So there's a lot more offense to a game, which the fans want to see. Um, and so it, it makes it more exciting for the games as well because you're going to add more offense. I know how to get more offense in the game. How are you doing to do that? We can turn turn back the clock to 1995. <laughs> okay, what's 1995? We'll we'll just go out there and party like it was 1995. Bring back the likes of Mark McGuire and Jose oh. Canseco and Sammy Sosa and Jeff Bagwell. Oh, you're going that way with it. All right, <laughs> just go ahead and bring it back. What? Why? Why even worry about who's doing what? Chicks dig the long ball, isn't it? What that what they that, say? That was the motto. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, that was the famous commercial with the Glavin, the Glavin, Schmoltz, and, and uh, Maddox. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, a couple other news and notes, if you will, under our fantastic finishes, Stevie D. Uh, I'll talk about the so Austin Matthews for the Toronto Maple Leafs resigned uh, or signed his extension. He he's a stud. He's a flat-out stud. Uh, he came in after the Connor McDavid, uh, Jack Eichel draft, but flat-out stud and, and well-deserved of the money that he got. The Leafs now, in, in successive months, have signed Nylander and Matthews. Uh, that's a lot of money between those two kids, and they still have more to go. So I, I could see the Leafs basically – you know, with the the all-star team that they have up there now, 
in, in the next year or so. Remember, they, they they signed former Islander John Tavares in the offseason, too? That's right. That's another big contract. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. The, the last thing I had for you, Stevie D, and you brought this to my attention. Ooh. DeAndre Francois, quarterback, Florida State. Or should I say <laughs> formerly Florida State? Or should I say former quarterback, Florida State? But this what is interesting. A story, dude. Is what a story. Interesting. Oh, and I'll let you you tell us because you're the one that told me about it. So this young man was quarterback for Florida State. Garbage. And this week, <laughs> this week he got cut for a supposedly domestic abuse case that his former girlfriend um, had this video out there and saying that uh, he uh, that he abused her. Florida State, and I'm giving you the five-minute version, right? Florida State heard this, and they decided, oh, we're not, we're not having anything of this. This is the Jameis Winston reaction, right? Um, and they went ahead and cut him. Well, I don't know if it took less than 24 hours for the girl to recant that statement and basically say, he did not touch me. He did not hit me. Um, I piecemealed together this video to make it sound like he did something that he didn't do. Like, I was mad. She said, I was mad because he broke up with me and I didn't know how to handle it. Are you kidding me? Are you effing kidding me? I didn't know how to handle it, so let me smear this kid's college career. Whether he's good or not, it doesn't matter. You smeared a young man's name in the public, in the public eye that's all over the place. How this young woman is not being held accountable in the state of Florida for her actions, or whatever state she lives in now, I don't know if she's a Florida resident or not, is beyond me. And I'm, I'm sick for the kid. Because this is the problem in sports. Who do you believe? Do you believe the young victim or alleged victim? Or do you believe the athlete? And this is another classic story, right? What was it, 10, 15 years ago, the Duke, the Duke lacrosse team went yeah. through something wild? Yeah, now, that. this kid, now this kid is facing that. He lost his, his position at Florida State. Yep. All because the girl lied. She lied. She flat out lied, waited for him to get kicked out of school and said, oh, by the way, he, it didn't happen? You think Florida State's going to call knocking on the kid and, and come back? No. If I'm the kid, would I go back? Hell no, I wouldn't go back. You cut me. You didn't even listen to me. You didn't even let me tell. Even if you let me t- see my side of the story, you didn't believe me. Yeah. Now, if the can can the kid go anywhere else and play, or is he under those those weird rules in the NCAA? Well, that's a good question because I don't know how the NCAA has responded. Right? He he. I guess he. Well, he he was he was kicked off the team, so he doesn't have to go into that transfer portal. Um. So he he probably could go wherever he was. Now, keep in mind, he's not good. <laughs> it doesn't I'll, matter if you're good or I'll not. Tell you that. Right. Not, not, well, I, I say that for a reason. Uh, he won't find himself uh, with all these offers from the big time universities. He, he would probably be better suited to go to a lower tier school to finish his schooling and to be able to play. I'm sure he would be able to. I, I But I haven't heard what the NCAA has said. 
Um, I don't think that he would find himself though to a like he was when he was being first recruited. Uh, I I will say to to what you said there first first and foremost, um, you you have um, this is this very reminiscent to the Ezekiel Elliott situation, right? Where a girlfriend makes an accusation, uh, and then they find out that it, it never happened. His his situation, he was done in school, right? So that's that's where it's a little different. But the problem that we have, the problem that we have, is that our society, and this is this is transcending sports. Our society does not know how to uh, investigate properly. You know, we we are set up by by laws and rules, and you're, you're supposed to be innocent until proven guilty. However, in our society, power and money reign supreme. So when you had these women who were being uh, raped and abused and things that were happening, as long as I had enough money to either pay off the judge or to get the best defense attorney possible and to put out a smear smear campaign against whoever was levying these these accusations, I I was good. It was going to be dropped. And it doesn't matter, right? But money, money reigned supreme. And then it seemed to take a different turn where we started to say, you know what, Uh, you you have these people who are privileged and and they're getting away with murder. And so then you had uh, people who were suing, right? They, instead of taking them to court, they were suing them. And what they always say for those who have celebrity and notoriety that it's better to just pay them off in the in the suit, even though these things weren't happening, right? So it was going back and forth. The unfortunate thing that happens, and like you said earlier, is that somebody's life is being ruined. And there needs to be accountability. And I think we talked about this before, and if we didn't, then we may have talked offline, is that there's there's is a level of responsibility to those who make the claim. If you make the claim and it really happened, then you have no problem going forward with your your accusation in hopes that there will be punishment for that person who did that horrific thing to you, whether it be abuse, whether it be rape, what whatever it may be. But if you are lying and you have been caught lying and fabricating this for being vindictive or trying to be a cash grab. In the case of Ruben Foster, she said that it was for a cash grab. If you are caught with that, then there should be some level of punishment levied against you equal to what would happen to the person that you had initially made that accusation on. So if that's saying that he would go to jail for five to 10 years or 10 to 20 years, then you should be held responsible for that. Not only the, you know, more than likely these women can't afford the the financial um, settlements to, to pay back what is lost in wages, but they certainly should, should be responsible to go to jail if you're going to falsely accuse somebody. If they really did do it, 
then you have no problem saying, yep, let's go, because this is what happened. Here's the DNA. Here's the evidence. Here's my witnesses, you know, all of that. So that, that that's my stance on that. I, I think it's unfair for the men, but I think that these women are making it unfair for the real victims that are out there. And that's the biggest problem. Absolutely. We never really go social <laughs> and talk about sure. social issues, but but this one, it, you know, it, this it one bugs bleeds me. over, right? But it bleeds over into sports. This particular issue, it does. So, but hey, CVD. On that note, yep. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna wrap up this show. Uh, it, it was a long one, CVD, but we had a lot of good a lot of good stuff to talk about and yep. go over. Um, and, and absolutely, if you guys want to check us out on our website officialwordsports.com you can also check us out on facebook we're also on twitter instagram snapchat so we're all over the place if you would other areas to catch the the podcast we're on TuneIn radio spotify anchor fm stitcher so we're, we're all over the place you look for us you'll find us uh and, and share the word uh you know tell your friends about us uh and Send us, send us a message. Send us a tweet. We'd love to know what you think about the show and anything you want us to talk about. We're, we're open and willing to talk about anything. We'll even talk about curling. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm Vince. I'm Steve. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.